Welcome to Fit Inspired Mama Podcast. This is Nishma Karim, your host. I'm here today because I'm a huge believer of supporting women in their achievements. I record and talk to live, beautiful women who not only support other women, but have a story they want the world to know. We encourage each other with no judgment, comparison, or jealousy. Come and listen in. You will be amazed with how many people out there have maybe the same story as you. See you inside. Thank you again for listening in to Fit Inspired Mama with me, your host, Nishma Karim. Today's guest speaker is Zafira. She has a beautiful story about how she adopted her son, the process she went through, and everything that she went through to have this beautiful son of hers. Today, I ask you that same question. Do you, have you wanted to adopt? Do you feel like you want to adopt a child? Do you have the heart to adopt? Do you know the process of adoption? Do you know anything that you want to do when it comes to adoption? Do you know the process? Do you know what happens? There's so many questions that we ask ourselves before we think about adopting a child. Is it easy? Is it difficult? Well, here it is. Zafira is going to tell you her story about her adoption and how long it took and what happened. So let's listen to Zafira talk about her story. I am so excited to have Zafira here with me today. Uh, Zafira, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your beautiful story of you, of your adoption story. Um, seeing your son running around is so beautiful, especially when I see him knowing that, you know, he is adopted, but you have uh, this bright story that I want to hear from you. And I'm, I'm very I'm very blessed to have you here to share that with everyone around so they can hear you and they can, you know, if they have any questions, they can ask you. This is a story. And I think for me, it's a big one because when I wanted to adopt, I didn't really know too much of the process of doing it. And I know that there are people out there that may want that information. And what a beautiful time to talk about it if people do want to adopt. And not only that, they can get a little bit more insight from what you've gone through and things that they might want to change or things they might want to do differently. So thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your story. My pleasure. Let's start with what brought you to think about adoption? You know, it's an interesting question. My I have a couple of adopted cousins and um, an aunt that was adopted into our family when I was obviously before I was even born. So adoption has been very normal um, in my family. When my brother passed away, um, my mom and dad made this difficult decision to not try and have more kids because it would have caused a lot of complications for my mom's health and to try and pursue the adoption avenue. And I watched them probably from the time I was four or five years old until when I was 10, when they finally gave up, um, struggle with the, the process of international adoption and the bribery that came with it in the eighties and the fees and uh, the stigma around interracial adoption. 
um, transcultural adoption, things like that. And I can go back to like fourth grade. We had to do a project on what it was called About Me. And I have it. I still have the book. And when I look at what I envisioned my family to be like, I was going to be a doctor and a lawyer with 16 children. And my children were literally of all colors, all races. Like there was ones with more Asian features, ones with like, you know, kinky Afro hair, and there was blonde kids. So I clearly had this in my mind from a very young age that it was very normal to have a very mixed and blended family. That's so cute that you say that. Because <laughs> I actually, I personally actually had a fun little thing that I actually did the same thing. I, my vision was eight kids. I wanted a soccer team at one point. <laughs> so when I did meet my husband, I said, yes, I wanted to do a soccer team and I was totally, totally ready for it. And then when I had my first child, I thought about it after that. And then I was like, okay, she needs a sibling. So I had a second child and then I'm like, I'm done. I am never going to have another child. It is yeah. over. It's done. Like, I don't think I could ever have done it, but I, in my heart still kind of says, I wish I could adopt. It is still. Well, and you family. can. It, it is part of my my thing. I always do talk to my husband and say, you know, even if we can find someone that's five years old or six years old, um, I don't mind adopting a little bit older. But then again, you there's so many things that I want to know of because adopting an older child means they're more aware of what's going on. They're more aware of what's the surrounding is. They're more aware that they're, you're not really their family. They're not really their mom and dad. So, you know, stuff like that, that really catches my interest in adoption. Mm -hmm. so, um, I am so happy that you, you decided to do this. Give us a little bit more insight on how you decided to go on board doing this and what you came about when you started to fill out the paperwork and you started yeah. to think about doing the adoption. What did you go through and how was the process of getting this beautiful adoption into your home? So it's interesting. If you look back at like my dating history, as, as soon as I was old enough to date adults, so like out of high school, everybody I dated was somehow a single dad. They already came with children. There were never, okay, maybe some of them were, but typically there was someone that had some kind of attachment with them. And I was in this um, long-term relationship with someone who was divorced and had three kids and didn't want more. And we weren't sure where our relationship was going. We'd been together for a few years, but I, um, I had always been very honest about, listen, I need, I need a child and it doesn't matter if it's with you or not. And he was super supportive and was like, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm here to support you. Let's, let's figure that out. And so I was still in a committed relationship talking about marriage um, and pursuing a single parent adoption, which was kind of, I think not the typical way people do it, right? People are usually in a relationship planning on a family with that person or perhaps on their own or you know, not sure what, what's going on or transitioning, but I was very much in a happy relationship looking at, at this avenue. And I loved his kids. Um, I mean, I still talk to them, but uh, it's, it was kind of that, that point. I was, how old was I? 30 something, early thirties. So like no fertility issues, nothing like that, but it was very much, and I want to adopt. And so I, knew there was two ways to adopt. There's the international way where you're looking at agencies and profiles and fees and immigration. And then there was the local way through foster care. And I was reminded about a lot of the values just growing up that my parents had shared and culturally that we share about 
like making Canada your home. And so I wanted to start at home first. And it didn't matter to me what the child looked like or right, what gender they were, what culture they, what their culture of origin was. So I started the process. Um, you, I went to an information session. I made an application. I went through some interviews and screening process um, with a social worker from the ministry. And then they send you to school. And in those days, it was six weeks of school during a weekday for a full two days a week. So, is so I had to take time off work. So is the school kind of teaching you how it's, to adopt? So it's not teaching you how to adopt. It's teaching you about the issues kids in care come with. Okay. And it's really interesting. So now it's an online course. It's compressed, right? COVID has changed some of that, but also technology has made it a lot easier that it's evenings. But really it's things like every child who's adopted, for example, doesn't matter how old they are, goes through a disruption with attachment because their attachment to the person that biologically carried them for as many months as the birth mom was pregnant, carried them. And then suddenly they have a new parent. So it doesn't matter if you're adopted from the moment you come out of somebody's uterus, or if you are adopted at age 17, 18, or 19 in BC, um, you're gonna have an attachment challenge because there's been a disruption. So they talk about attachment, they talk about um, drug and alcohol exposure, they talk about medical issues that kids might be surrendered into care for, um, social and trauma issues that might be in the family home that led to the child being apprehended. So kids in foster care aren't just, they don't just come to foster care healthy, right? They're typically taken from their birth situation because there's a, a problem. And so they really want you to go in eyes wide open. And so six weeks of class, um, a lot is very emotional. They really, they're talking about so many things that you are confronted with any demon you've ever had in your life, any bias you've ever had, and people drop out through the process um, and, and people struggle through the process. And there are people in that class that might be trying to adopt their biological grandchildren or biological siblings or nieces or nephews, because to adopt within foster care, you have to go through that. Oh or God. people who are looking at adopting a child they don't even know exists yet. And so in my group, we had several married couples that were going through fertility challenges. There was a couple of um, same-sex couples. There was um, a couple that had a cultural match with a child of the same culture of origin. I think they were Punjabi. Um, and so they'd been pre-matched, but they had never gone through the system. Just somebody had approached them and they'd been open to it. There was me as a single mom. There, and my dad had come with me to class. It was kind of cute. There was a couple of grandparents and aunts and uncles. And through the process, through the weeks, people dwindled, right? Like the grandmas would be like, you know what? I don't need to do this. I'm already the grandma. They can keep paying me as a foster parent, which is what happens. You pay, foster families get funding. I don't have to go through all this stress and interviewing and sit here and listen to all this. They already live with me. I'm already their family. And so they would, you know, go, pass through the process and give up. People. Some people started, I was thinking one or two couples got divorced throughout that six month period. They were having like marital issues. Um, some people got pregnant through that process because they were still working on their own fertility challenges or in the case of same sex couples, right? A donor, whatever they needed. So that class of about, I wanna say it was about 24 people dwindled to probably about 10 around graduation time. Um, 
and I say graduation only because class was over and what else do you call it when a series of classes is over but um you know went through that process and then you go through a series of interviews a home study with a social worker where they're in your house they're talking to you they're doing reference checks like getting a job they talk to every adult that lives in your home they do criminal record checks um they do like huge like lifestyle sessions. Every time they meet with you, you have to refill out the same questionnaire to talk about where your threshold is with things like autism spectrum, drug and alcohol exposure, heart defects, um, facial disfiguration. It can be really anything, right? Anything that is not what we would consider typical in society. And if I was to picture the form, it's all these little check boxes and it's about a section this big on the check boxes where you're checking where your comfort is. And you go through that for probably another six months before they approve you. And then, so you're about a year, year and a half in, year and a quarter in at this point, because you've also waited, right? To get to be the next person they're gonna talk to or the next person in class. Um, And then they start looking for a match. And there's a lot of biases, right? So there's a bias against people of color. And they're very transparent about that. There's a bias against single parents, very transparent, same-sex couples, Um, people with a lot of education, because you might expect too much of a child who's got trauma issues, right, as opposed to you might advocate. And I think there's two lenses to that, right? So, um, and they're like, again, they're very transparent about the biases. My social worker at the time was going through a breakup with her spouse. And so she said to me, I'm a single mom right now. I, it's really gonna be hard for you. And I was like, you know what, we're okay. You have to prove to them that you have support around you. Um, and while they're looking in the system at the back end, trying to match you, you get invited to what are called matching events. So think about it like speed dating. They put up PowerPoint presentations with kids with their terrible stories. like, And they really pick the most heartbreaking stories like this kid's been in foster care since four months old 10 months old they're 14 they've still not been adopted look how beautiful this child is and they are beautiful they have a beautiful story but they've also been in the system for a very long time so they have a lot of challenges maybe they've had a couple of failed adoptions and so you fall in love with these pictures and these stories and then you speed date with the social workers who want to get to know you Um, And so you are chatting with these social workers, you give them a a one page or two page profile of your family with photographs and buzzwords trying to show them how great you are, right? Just like dating. And you cross your fingers that they have somebody in their portfolio because they only present like 20, 25 kids, right? And we know there's hundreds of kids in the foster system. So I went to a bunch of those, probably one every six months for about three years. Oh my God. Really heartbreaking. Had a, and I won't say I didn't have kids presented to me, but I had kids presented to me that there was no way I could parent. Like there was one little girl. I remember her, her story so well. She was under a year old, but she was born to two parents that had two biological parents. I should say not two parents, two biological parents that had severe developmental disabilities and could not live independently. So they lived in adult group homes. And somehow these two had gotten together and gotten pregnant. And both these biological parents had parents that were involved in their care, even though they're adults, right? Because they were developmentally disabled. And 
the grandparents didn't, didn't want anything to do with this child because they knew they couldn't parent yet another child. And, and statistically risk factor wise, that child would never be able to live independently. And for me, I was, I was struggling because as a single person, while I was, and I think at this point, that relationship that I'd been in for five years had deteriorated and broken down. But as a single applicant, I wanted to make sure I could take care of this child. And a child that could never be left alone meant I could never go to work or I would have to have full-time like daycare, nanny care, something. And I had to think about that from a single income perspective mm -hmm. and a sustainability perspective, right? Because that had to be feasible. And I remember, I remember crying when I said no, but the whole reason they'd come to me with that pr proposal was because she was brown-skinned and I was brown-skinned. We didn't have the same culture. But they were like, well, she'll look like you so nobody will ask questions. And I kept thinking, oh. it doesn't matter if they look like me, like I don't care. Um, so fast forward six and a half years of waiting and uh, these proposals that just don't match. There was a 13 year old who didn't want to be adopted but had a story, like a life story of a school story and interests and hobbies much like me. And they thought she'd be a great fit. Her foster mom, where she had been since she was two years old, had passed away. She was 13. So she'd been in the same place for 11 years. Not so many attachment challenges, but probably other stuff. Um, birth mom did not want her to be adopted, but foster father didn't want a teenager in the house as a single foster parent. So nobody wanted really her to go anywhere. She didn't want to go anywhere. And kids, when they're over eight years old, get asked if they want to be adopted by the judge before they sign over the paperwork. And so I was like, well, nobody wants this. So why are you asking me if I want her? Like, I'm gonna, of course, I'm going to fall in love with this lovely story. But she doesn't want it. Bio mom doesn't want it. Foster dad is struggling with it. Like, we're just setting her up for failure. There's a lot of emotions in, in adoption. Mm -hmm. It looks like, like you know, you're, you're, you're basically going through different roadblocks. You mm -hmm. go from one place to another to another. And you're just sitting there thinking, what the heck am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Who am I going to adopt? They're just putting all these kids on top of you thinking, and you're right. Um, race is a big, huge thing. They're trying to match you thinking that's what you want. Right. And you've and told them right through this, every paperwork you filled out every six months, every month for like this two and a half year intake process, you've been clear about what you'll accept and not accept. So I finally went to my social worker, December 20, 17 and I said I'm done close my file and yeah. she was like hang on are you sure what like what what's happening and and she pushed back a little and so I said you know what fine you, you keep looking but don't even call me unless you have a sure thing I am done like I'm exhausted with this and I didn't know at the time but my son now had already been proposed at the back end and they were working on this file and I hadn't been accepted yet but it was four months later, they contacted me and said, we have a match. And through this process, you're also doing a yearly update on your life. And I'd been, I was in another long-term relationship and I hadn't even bothered to tell them I was dating somebody, let alone that we were talking about getting married because there was no point. Nothing was progressing in a meaningful way. And it was just, they'd come to your house, they'd interview, they would have had to do criminal record checks. And it was just emotionally, I was done. Right. So April, they came to me with this file. Um, I walked around with his picture in my purse because it, it was they were so sure they gave me the picture, which is very rare. Um, I walked around with this picture in my purse for about 
two weeks before I said anything to anybody and anyone who knows me knows how hard it is for me to shut up about stuff so I but I was literally like I think April 24th until March 4th no sorry April 24th until May 14th I didn't say a word to anybody not you know not my best friend not my dad not my now spouse um I just said nothing and then I called the social worker and I said so the thing is I'm dating someone and she was like hang on we're, we're going to have to start over. Like we can't even, you can't have this child. And, and I said, okay, like, okay. Like, what do we do? And so May 24th, we started a process to figure out if he could co-apply with me or if it would be easier for me to continue on my own. And they had lots of meetings at the ministry. And then they came back with, and they met him. They did criminal record checks and background checks, all the same stuff. And then they came back and said, okay, you know what? It's going to be easier if you just apply on your own, but then you have to promise that he will not meet your child for the first four months, at least. There will be no overnights. There will be no, um, you know, no introducing him as dad. You are mom and you are the person he meets. That's it. And so we talked about it and, and we decided to proceed. And so it was, May 28th, I think at this point, and I went to work and I said, so I'm adopting and I'm going to be off work for a year and two weeks. And I, so it was like the longest pregnancy equivalent, right? Six and a half years at this point um, that I'd been waiting. So I had like, you know, and then suddenly I tell work I'm gone in two weeks and yeah. And so here we are three years later, right? He moved in three years, six weeks ago. And it's a little shocking to me on a daily basis. Um, but the process was hard. And in there, we touched on this a little bit. I thought about the international route and would it be easier? And there's there's roadblocks there too, right? So there are some countries that will not accept um, applicants of a different religion. So you can only apply if you're the religion of the majority of that country. A lot of countries won't accept single parent applications. Um, and then there's also the waiting process and the fees and depending. So if you're Caucasian trying to adopt within North America, the adoption fees can be, if you want like a child of the same race can be up to like 20, 40, 60, 80, hundred thousand dollars. If you want a different race child, depending on the race of the child, it's less because the kids are less wanted. And then why but I right I feel like the adoption agency is like a money-making magnet well and this was what my mom struggled with right she was like I don't want to go buy a baby yeah and that was kind of how I felt so I thought about it I I, I went down the road and then I just be like no I just can't I, I need to adopt a kid that is from here it was just it just became more and more important to me right? They don't deserve more or less of a chance, but lots of people are interested in kids from overseas and less so locally. Like we kind of forget about this, you know, the thousands of kids in this province anyways, right? That are, that are but available. Is there a difference? Because sometimes when you do adopt from overseas, you can sometimes be guaranteed that the mother just never wanted the baby and there was no sure. any side effects, right? Of the baby. So the can they guarantee that the mom never had alcohol? And she was honest about it. They can't. Yeah, exactly. We and and so, it, 
Yeah. And if you think about the cases like in Pakistan and India, they have those boxes where you can just go drop off a baby that you don't want. Um, I don't know if you've heard about this, but like the outside orphanages and all these hospitals, you can literally just leave a baby and walk away. No questions asked. So you can absolutely, you can get an infant. Um, I have a friend going through that process right now. Her son's coming home at age one and a half years. Um, but you're, you're, you're immigrating them. And because they don't come with BC or Alberta or whatever province you're in health information, if it turns out they have major health issues, that government can refuse to cover support for medical issues. Oh, I, I had no idea. So, so imagine if you got a kid. So Russia is a good example, right? A lot of the kids from Russia have alcohol exposure. And that's a lifestyle, right? Piece of Russian culture. There's a lot of vodka drinking. And it's very, it's normalized. But a lot of those kids have fetal alcohol syndrome. And they don't show those symptoms until they're in school. So because it's not disclosed up front, you brought this kid home. They have these issues. You're trying to get healthcare coverage and support. And it's, I mean, it's Canada. So at the end of the day, you will get help, but it's not as easy. Whereas if you're adopting from within the system, you're, you're not guaranteed support, but it's easier to get support for whatever issues are going on. And there's a lot of failed adoptions where people bring a child from overseas, find these medical issues, and then surrender the kids to the provincial ministry. And then the, those kids have to go through another adoption process. So you have to be really sure. Like I you just like have this, to be really sure. This process just makes it feel like as if it's not only just hard for the person that's adopting, it's hard for the kids that are going through it too as well. And at the end of the day, it's like you're paying so much money to try to get that perfect child. And that child just needs a home. But I, I understand the fact of them, you know, doing the criminal record job, uh, mm -hmm. background check on you, uh, making sure that the child is coming into the right home and that there is no like back and forth problems, um, having all the security and proper information before handing a child to you. I, I, get, I get that, I understand that. But then it's, I guess it's also a big, huge money-making system. I, I believe, I, this is the way I feel, like mm -hmm. 20, 30, hundreds, thousands of dollars just to, to adopt a child. And then there are some people that are desperate because they can't have babies. And this is something mm -hmm. they want to do, right? Mm -hmm. Here's a question for you. Um, what do you advise someone when they are adopting someone, when they are adopting a child? What, what, do you, what do you advise them to do before they look into adoption? So I think the first thing you just, you really need to be sure about your, not your motives, but your motives, right? That you and your partner, if you have a partner on the same page, I saw so many couples go through marital breakup through the process, like through those six and a half years, right? Like, and I'm, we stay friends with the people that you meet, they become part of your network. Um, but you have, to be sure, you have to be sure you're on the same page. Because once you bring that child home, if you go through, you know, if, if the one parent didn't want to adopt and the one did, then the, the child feels that, right? Like kids are sponges, they know what's going on. So be sure. Um, I think the other pieces like parents who have adopted for the most part are very open about their experience. So talk to people that have adopted because they'll tell you what it's like. Like I can tell you what it's like to try and adopt from India, from the Philippines, not because I went through that full process, but because I did that research and I talked to people and I engaged in those conversations with agencies and social workers. And that criminal record check and the home study piece is not 
much different for a private agency. It's just that they're privately staffed, so they go a little bit faster and they're a little bit more flexible. Um, make sure you have enough money in the bank. Like Morocco, you're required to live in the country for a year before you can bring your child home. So you have to take a year off work to before you even take custody of the child to be there. Yeah. Right. And then you're going to take parental leave because then you become the parent. So now you're taking a two year absence from work. So you need to make sure that you've got like financially that it's because those things put strains on relationships and families. Right. Um, And I mean, I, I, I have a supportive, unsupportive family in the sense that everyone's like, this is, you know, like we have a lot of adoption in our family on, on both sides. Um, but at the same time, people are like, are you crazy? Like, why are you doing this? Just have a baby. And I was like, but I just don't want to. Like, and for me, birthing is just, some people really want to be pregnant and like push and get a push gift. And I was like, no, just don't want to. Not the way, you know, and if it happens and happened, it would have been fine, but it just wasn't my, my choice of how I wanted to build my family. Um, but I think, and you have to be able to advocate for that. You have to be able to explain like, if you, if you have fertility issues and they'll ask you and they will ask you and they will find out. So you can't lie about these things. Like, how are you going to explain that? Yeah, I'm still going to love this child if my fertility issues suddenly resolve and I don't, and I have a, a biological child or how will I handle marital breakup? And they do interview you and your spouse and your co-applicants together and separately. So making sure that like, you just really need to be transparent with yourselves. I think the other part is, being forgiving um, of yourself that it's not going to go, there's just not a plan, right? Like a wedding planning, dating, like it's not a linear road. It's going to have its bumps and turns and being selective about who you're telling. I mean, you want to tell everybody, but then everybody wants an update and that creates pressure for you because you don't have information to give them yet. And it can cause a lot of emotional trauma for for the applicants um a long-term emotional emotional phase that you're going to go through for an adoption because oh and then be prepared for it to go fast I mean our um my son's godfathers who are in a same-sex relationship their application to child coming home was less than two years their child is 11 and they've had him for a Oh, less than a year. Um, and that child has a, a lot of issues, but we have a conversation almost daily or every two days about like, were you ready really to adopt an 11 year old? Yeah. Right. It's, um, and they, they were, they were presented with a baby and an 11 year old almost at the same time. So they had an option and, and like I take my hat off to them for going for the, the one where, right. That's, that's the one that long-term would have had a harder time finding a home, but also comes with a whole lot more baggage, like nature over nurture. Yes. You can imprint and attach easier to a baby, but I mean, my son wasn't even two when he came home and I mentioned his birth mom's name to him once when he was two and a half and he's turning, well, he's school age now. And, uh, and he asks me about her by name. And I mentioned the name once. Like you would not think that at age two and a half, he would remember at all. And 
it's like he has his own little narrative about what she was like and what you know what the circumstances were around his coming into the the foster system and I didn't give him that story I've tried to keep it very like neutral very age appropriate but he asks questions I want to say every three to five days and that can be heartbreaking because then he turns around and he says it's okay mom I chose you like he tells me that and it's so sweet but at the same time as he gets older he will learn that he didn't actually choose me I said yes but some you know agency of people over here chose us for each other and it's a choice to be a family and that's fine but his his own narrative that he's building in his mind you know is a young child like that already having that story you know sometimes it's a good thing that you are giving him all that information but in a very slow process letting him know what the situation was instead of Mm -hmm. hiding it from him And there's a lot of families that I know that today, even though they've adopted their child, they're so happy. And the child still doesn't know that they're adopted because they've kept that child as their own. And they don't want to tell the child that they're adopted because from them, they had them since they were babies. They have kept them till today. And, you know, there's, and even though people know about it, it's forgotten because we're all like, we've all grown up together and we're all together Um, And when I shared that story with him at age two and a half, it was really, you know, we'd signed adoption papers, he'd received a book of photos, and he wanted to look at baby pictures of himself. So we'd pull them up. And he was like, Oh, who's that? And I said, Oh, that's your birth mom. Move on. It was so it was so it was like a third of a second. It was not a long moment at all. And he has a story. He's filled in some gaps on his own. Interestingly, his gaps are not so inaccurate about the circumstances of, of the story, but I mean, it's really like, what? <laughs> How did you, right? And, and part of me wants to be like, okay, can we stop talking about it? Because yeah. you were two and a half and it was like, it's, it's almost like I said to you, oh, like I like that shirt you're wearing today. That casual, that small a moment. And then five years later, you're like, so about that shirt I was wearing, <laughs> right? It's just it's a moment. Yeah. I'm very proud of you doing and going through what you've gone through the emotional factor of adoption about finding, you know, looking through all these places to find that right you you basically had a dream, and you fulfilled that dream. And it's so hard to say not a lot of people can do that. So the fact that you wanted to do something you did it, and doesn't matter how long it took you how emotional it was how difficult it was, you did it. And I think that is what a lot of parents out there that are looking at adopting need to see that Mm -hmm. this is a woman that single mom that did it by herself, not having that partner. Is it possible? Yes, it is. It is possible for anyone to adopt, but Mm -hmm. we need to know that there's that process, the emotional process that's going to go through. It can take four, five, six years. It can take two years, like you said, I think when anyone wants to get into it, there should not be any kind of hesitation. There should not be any kind of um, expectation that this is going to happen soon or I'm going to find something soon. It's just go with the flow. Mm-hmm. Very much so. I'm, I'm so, so happy that you did that. I'm so happy that you brought this up. You're, you're a star. You're beautiful. Such a wonderful mama. I've seen you with your little baby boy and I'm so proud to say that 
you're my friend and you're here and you're able to tell us a story about it. So thank you so much. He's not so little now, huh? COVID, he's almost, <laughs> almost as tall as me now, which is a little scary. Just a quick question though. Um, did it cost you that much money to adopt here in Canada? Foster okay. adoptions are actually fully funded by the government. Well, so, that's looking for adoption here. Good. Yeah, um, yeah. So there is like that other piece that because you're not putting all that money into legal fees and agencies for me, I was like, I can turn that money into extra care for him. Like if he needs an occupational therapist, a speech therapist. And when I got him, he was behind, like he wasn't meeting his milestones. And it was the first six months of my adoption leave that we were like physio, occupational therapy, speech therapy, gross motor skills, fine motor skills, like everything you could think of. It was like this intense learning bonding period. Um, and then he was exceeding his milestones, which goes to show that you can turn that around, but you have to be like, you have to be dedicated to it. Um, and when I got him, he had three words and six months later, he had about 700. Wow. And I would count every day. I would add the word to the list on like a little whiteboard and just like, right. Um, but yeah, it is fully funded, which, which helps. Um, if you go through an adoption agency to adopt within Canada, um, it's not funded. And that's an interesting one because if you were a pregnant teenager wanting to give your child up for adoption, they would tell you to go to an agency and you might've been using drugs and you might've been using, you know, drinking through your pregnancy and your child may be at risk for a lot of stuff, but the agency doesn't ask those questions. Whereas if the child is born and with a family and then apprehended into foster care, um, the ministry asks all those questions. So it could be, it's a difference of like, you know, four months, what point you actually, your child actually goes away from you. Um, but that helps. That's such a beautiful story. I'm so, so wowed with your story. I'm so glad that you're here. Oh my God, Zavira, thank you so much for, for sharing that with everyone. It's so beautiful to hear someone that actually has gone through it. So someone can, if anyone is hearing this, are able to be able to say, yes, this is what I want. And I'm going to go and try it out. I'm going to go and do it. There will be a lot of questions out there. There will be mothers saying, I want to talk to her. Can she may have more information for me that I might not be able to find outside? How would they be able to get a hold of you? Um, you know, I think when you tag me and stuff, people can reach out. It's it's all good. I spent a lot of years um, on the board of directors for the Adoptive Families Association. And so I would spend a lot of time talking to prospective families just in that. And now I sit on another board and I talk to lots of people about adopting teens in care. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to have that conversation. You can also email me, Zafira at Zafira.ca. It's actually really easy. Um, don't send me spam though. I'll get really annoyed. But uh, yeah, no, it's, I'm happy to have that conversation. And people are always connecting with my friend. So-and-so has questions. Like I get these random WhatsApps and Facebook chats and Perfect. So I can, can I add your Facebook or Instagram account into the description below? So then you can contact you through messenger or something you can. and your website as well. I'll add that in there as well. I want to say thank you again so much for being here, being the woman that you are. You are so beautiful, so internally gorgeous and a beautiful mama out there. So be who you are and, and inspire others just like you already do. 
And everyone that is listening, all the descriptions will be below. And I hope that you did get some information. If you are looking at adoption and you want to adopt, Safira is your lady. She's the one. Go talk to her, message her. She's amazing. I'm going to end the call today for this beautiful conversation that we just had. Don't forget to subscribe. Have a wonderful week and we will see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye.